Well, good morning again. I just want to tell you something. I am so, I say this every week, I mean it. I am so fired up about being here. I cannot wait to open God's Word with you guys in a few moments. I'm fired up about what's happening in the lives of our students. Thankful for all the volunteers and everyone who served this weekend. But here's what I want, yeah, if you're a volunteer, would you just stand up for a moment? If you hosted, if you led a group, if you drove somebody, provided food, stand up real quick. Do it now. Hurry. Quick, quick, quick. All right. All right. Have a seat. All right. Thank you, guys. Now, here's what I want everybody to do. We're going to do an exercise this morning. We didn't do this in the first service, but we're going to do it in a second. And this is for you guys, okay? And the reason is, is because, uh, number one, there's some biology involved in it, and I'll help you understand it in just a moment. But number two, students, look at here. Here's the thing. I know you didn't sleep much this week, weekend, right? So who's tired this morning? Are anybody tired? All right, any adults just tired? How many have drank way too much coffee? Okay, good. I had 10 middle school girls at my house this weekend. I'm just thankful to be here. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. I want, biologically speaking, this is truth. You can ask, there's many of you in the medical profession, you can back me up on this. Inside of each one, God put inside of our brain what we call a tired bone. I don't know if you've heard about this, right? A tired bone, it's right here. And in order to make it through a worship service after you haven't slept for a a whole weekend, right, you need to remove the tired bone. Are y'all with me on this? So I'm going to ask adults to do this too because I catch you dozing every Sunday. You think I don't see you, I see you, all right? And I do, I work really hard, okay? So here's the thing. Everybody, let's stand up for a moment. Talking to you, Brad, let's go. Here's the thing. Everybody stand up. Here's what we're going to do. Adults, students, this is for the students as well. I want you to put your hand right here. And on the count of three, let's go, Joan, pull out your tired bone. One, two, three. Pull it out and hold it. Look at it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to repeat after me. Look here, tired bone. Now, you got to say it with conviction. This is church, all right? Look here, tired bone. You're not going to make me go to sleep. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to laugh at what Chip has in his jokes. Even if I don't think it's funny. And I'm going to leave here changed this morning. Now take your tired bone, spin it around. Everybody, come on. Throw it around. Now throw it on the ground. Kill it. All right, now have a seat. Now you should be good and awake now, all right? With me on that? Only at River Hills, correct? <laughs> Take your Bible, chapter 2, 1 Peter. We're in the middle of a teaching series called Fortify, and I'm so amped about talking about this this morning. It's amazing how God works this out. We actually prolonged a, seri- uh, prolonged a text a few weeks ago and extended it, and we land on this text this morning. And for you guys that were at Resonate this weekend, this is totally applicable to you. So I really want you to with me for about 20 minutes because I think this is going to be totally uh, uh, resonating to all of you as we continue this morning. Now, 1 Peter was written by a dude named who? Let's say that together with conviction. Who? Peter. There we go. That's the name of the book. Peter was Jesus' number one disciple. I love Peter. We've talked about this before because he was a hard-working fisherman. He was a blue-collar dude, but yet God used him to do profound things. He had a problem that many of us deal with. He has something called foot and mouth disease. He spoke before he thought. He had no filters, but God used him anyway. But this is something we haven't mentioned in an introduction in any of our, any of our teachings throughout the book of 1 Peter. Peter His first name was Simon. In fact, his original name was Simon. Later on, Jesus changed his name to Peter, and that's why you'll hear his name called Simon Peter. Peter is a Greek word called Petros, which means rock. 
And, it, and Jesus asked Peter one time, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Messiah. You're the one that's going to set us free, just like that song we just sang. And Christ looked at him and he says, Peter, upon this rock, we're going to build the church. Now, many people over generations have misinterpreted that. They said this simply, that upon Peter and his lineage, meaning all the popes in the Catholic Church, we're going to build the church. But if you look at it contextually throughout the scope of the entire Bible, that whole phrase basically means this. Peter, upon that confession of you saying that Jesus is the way to heaven, we're going to build the church. And that's important. We're going to come to that in a few moments. But that's important to recognize because upon the confession of knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's how you're a part of the body of Christ. That's how you're a part of the church. Y'all with me on that? you got to know him in order to be set free, just like what we, set, what we sang about just a few moments ago. And so this morning what we're going to do is that we're going to change gears a little bit because from chap- all the, the entirety of chapter 1 in 1 Peter was based upon the majesty and the magnitude of what it means to know Christ. It's basically our salvation. Now he's switching gears as he's writing this letter to different churches in what is now present-day Turkey. He's writing these letters saying this, is that you have to fortify your faith and also understand your status. Now, let's understand that for a moment. He's writing to a group of people. He labels them exiles. Exiles, most of the time we look at these guys, and exiles are these people who have been kicked out of their own country. But that's not true here. Exiles in First Peter are people who've come to know Christ, and this is not their home. If you know Jesus, I really want you to understand this. This is not your home. You should feel uncomfortable here. You're swimming upstream. It's countercultural, and the more we try to fit in here, the more we're going to be unhappy here because we're not supposed to be here. God has got a bigger plan, a bigger place for us. Your citizenship is in heaven. But the majesty of your salvation, meaning that Jesus Christ died for you for all your sins and then rose from the dead by creating creating that incredible, incredible experience, what he does is he paves a way for you to get to heaven by asking Christ to come into your life. So important that you get that. That's your salvation, but now there's your status. Now, we just celebrated something this past Thursday. You know what it's called, right? What was it? Single Awareness Day, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I have never had a Valentine until I got married. I'm just being honest with you guys. I would love to say I broke up with people or decided not to have a date because I didn't want to spend the money, but that would be lying. Nobody would date me. So it was a sad life. Years of therapy has dealt with, helped me deal with that, and I'm beyond that now. But the thing is about Valentine's Day, it, it really highlights your status of being single, single again, or married, correct? And for most people in this room, it is a point of just, oh, my goodness, Valentine's Day is here for two reasons. One, you're a dude and you don't know what to buy. Would you agree with that, guys? It's like, i got to make this a winner. i got to be really good at this because this is Valentine's Day. Or two, you realize you're still single, and which is okay. Jesus Christ was single. But for many people, as you deal with Valentine's Day, it's not a good day. Would anybody, anybody here like that? It's just something that you deal with with fear and trembling. Now, my wife and I have been together 20 years, been married 18 of those years. And I married a woman, you know, she's over here, who she genuinely doesn't like Valentine's Day. I'm blessed. I'm just going to be straight up with you guys. Now, I help you understand this a little further is Now, guys, when you're told, like, babe, what would you like for Christmas? Oh, don't get me anything. That means you better get her something, right? Now, here's the thing. 
When she said, don't get me anything for Valentine's Day, she actually meant it. I bought her something last year, and she was like, thanks. And I'm like, she really meant that. After 20 years, I finally figured it out. So here's what I did. Really smart this year. The day before Valentine's Day, I went and bought a $5 bouquet of tulips and a candy bar and took it to her and said, happy Wednesday. I totally won. Totally won. Seven bucks, she was happy, all that stuff. That's my status, and it puts pressure on me sometimes. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, or any other social media thing. How many of you guys on social media? Just raise your hand. Almost 100% of us in this room are on some form of social media. It asks you for your status, doesn't it? Am I single? Single again? Married? Got a girlfriend? I love this one. It's complicated. Have you all ever seen that? Republican, Democrat, Christian? I don't know. There's all types of statuses we have to fill out. But here's my question to you this morning. What's your status? Students, what's your status? And I'm not talking about who you're dating. But we appreciate that. This girl is single right here. Anybody wants a date, here's your girl. All right, just kidding. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. But what's your status spiritually speaking? Adults too. Now, here's the thing. We love the whole concept of salvation, right? Jesus paid the price. We just sang about that, right? He's our living hope. But here's the thing. What's your status? Where are you on the spiritual paradigm? You see, here's the thing. In order to understand you, you've got to understand Jesus. This is so important for you to recognize. Tattoo that on a brain cell somewhere. In order to understand you, you better understand Jesus. Now, whether you're a Christ follower or not, you've got to understand Jesus to understand where you are in that spiritual paradigm. Now, what we're going to do here is for a few minutes, we're going to understand Jesus, and then we're going to deal with you. Are you all with me? Let this resonate. I'm going to keep saying that because I think it's funny. Here's the thing. Let this resonate just for a few moments because it's really going to give you your identity. And if you really cling to these truths we're going to be dealing with this morning, it will radically change your life. Let's go to chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Everything we've dealt with so far deals with this whole concept of your salvation. Now we deal with status. Get what happens here. Chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, now here's what the deal is, your status has changed. Now, for many of us, our status is in who we are, what we do, who we're dating, who accepts us, what peer group we're in, what we've done wrong, what we've done right, what church we go to, where we're a citizen of. It's like this viral photo that went around several years ago. I love this. This was a Christmas card this family sent out. Notice what happens here. One says excited, another says engaged, and the other one says Emily. I love that, don't you? But that's how we see ourselves, right? That's who you are. What's going on in my life? Painted across every Christmas card, every profile pic, and every person you're hanging out with. What group are you a part of? And here's what Jesus is saying here. Chapter chapter 2, verse 4. Christ is saying, or Peter is saying, Christ is the living stone. And then chapter, and then verse 5, he says this, you are too. Now let's understand this a little further. Let's take it down a notch and go to verse 4 again. Notice what he's saying here. As you come to him. Now this is not meaning prayer request, okay? 100% of the people on the planet pray. Whether they believe in God or not, They throw up a wish or a good thought or energy or whatever they call it, but that's called prayer. But here's the thing. What he's saying here is based on everything we've studied so far in chapter 1, as you come to Christ means 
a salvation experience. And as you come to him through salvation, you've got to understand Jesus. And he goes on to explain who Jesus is in the remainder of verse 4. And he says, he is a living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. Now we're going to pause here at this verse because it gives you an entirety of the explanation of who Christ is. First and foremost, you've got to understand that Christ is a living stone. Now, if we go outside in our parking lot or out behind our church and we pick up a rock and you take it to a lab and you do all these experiments on it, you're going to find one thing that is just completely certain. It's dead. It has no life. Sure, you may find some bacteria on it. You might find an animal that's burrowed inside of it somewhere. But that stone can't do anything but be useful to you, right? That's it. So here's interesting. He describes Jesus as this. Go back to verse 4. He is a what? Living stone. That's so important here. Because the interesting thing about Christianity and the important thing, students, about your faith is that not only do you come to him in salvation, but in order for that salvation to be met with cheering when you enter into heaven is that Christ be alive. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then you're not a Christian. If you don't believe that Jesus is alive today, then you're not a Christian. There's no faith there. There are scores of people throughout history who have died for someone, but none of them ever rose from the dead. I have two wonderful children. Love them to death. I will take a bullet, get hit by a bus, get hit by a train, take on any disease, take on any suffering. I would do anything. I would pay the ultimate price for my kids. But daddy's still going to be dead. Here's the interesting thing about Jesus. When he paid the price for our sin, he rose from the dead. And the thing we have to understand, you may believe that, and you may have that in your brain cell thinking, that is true, I believe that is a reality, faithfully, spiritually, existentially, all this, I believe that. But here's the thing, the application thereof isn't so sure in how we live our lives. Do y'all agree on that sometimes? Because here's the thing, Jesus for many of us is a monument, which you've got to understand that Jesus is not a monument. He's alive. And, and this, what, this is what gives feet to your faith. If Christ is a monument, we're going to go and say, Lord, look what I did. God, look what I have for you. Look at this wonderful cross in my yard. Look at all these paintings and pictures. Look at this effort that I put in. Look at what I've done right. But no, no, Jesus is alive, and he gives fire to the feet for your faith. You get me on this? He's not a monument to be stared at. He is a living stone to be experienced. You hear me? So important to understand. Jesus is alive. Now, to dig a little further, let's keep reading here. Not only is Jesus not a monument, get this. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, he's rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And what he's saying here is simply this. Many people put their hope in traditions, in suspicions, in um, superstition. I mean, you, there's all types of shuns we put our hope in. The people of Israel will know different. Different. Notice what happens in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 14. 
they say this to the Lord, and the Lord kind of confronts them. He says, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, you, you, you who rule this people in Jerusalem. He calls them scoffers when we see why in verse 15. You boast we have entered into a covenant with death, and with the realm of death we have made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you think it cannot touch us, for we have made a, made a lie, our refuge and falsehood, our hiding place. What he's saying here to the people of Israel, he says, you put all this hope in superstition and in your own power and in your own effort, but here's a problem. It ain't going to work out. Here's the thing. And I really want you to understand, I'm passionate about this because it's impacted my entire life. We put our hope in our successes, our failures, our peer groups, the people we're around, our family, all this stuff. But here's the thing. All that falls apart, every bit of it, because here's what the Lord says. Let's go to verse 16, Isaiah chapter 28. This may sound familiar because we just quoted it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now stop here. I love this. And since this is the 11 o'clock service, we can go to 1, so I'm going to explain this. You better you got your tire bone out, so you better stay awake. All right, here's the thing. I'm not going to go that way. Sovereign, you got to understand. Your God that you worshipped and sang about just a moment ago has every atom under his control in the universe. Every one of them. If he didn't, this place would be in more chaos than we realize. If the sun shifted an inch, our galaxy would be thrown in the universe. If the earth was tilted one angle, either way, we're either going to be burned up or we're going to endure an ice age. It's terrible. God has it all in control. He's sovereign over all. And then we see the word Lord, and in some of your Bibles it's going to be L-O-R-D, all capitalized, which translates from the Hebrew word Yahweh, which means God is personal to me. He's saying we have a sovereign, relational God, and this is what he's saying to you. I lay a stone in Zion, which means for his kingdom. I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious, what does that say? cornerstone. It's the foundation. For a sure foundation, the one who relies on it will never be stricken with what? Panic. means you're not going to put to shame. Now go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. See if this sounds familiar. Peter's talking about Jesus, and he says this. For in Scripture it says, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be what? Put to shame. You see the beauty in this. And this is what you got to recognize about the gospel. And this is what students, you need to rest and recognize about the God you worshiped all weekend and learned about. Adults too. Not only is Jesus not a monument, understand this. God's building plan or project is radically different than yours. Radically different. Go back to verse 4. Get what he says here. He says, Jesus is a living stone. But he was rejected by humans. How many times have you put a plan together in place and it's just falling completely apart? Any of y'all ever done that before? We're in the middle of a building project here at church. Can't wait to get it going. But we have changed the architectural layout of this place. How many times, Justin? It feels like a dozen times, right? And if you're in the building industry, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's always a change. There's always something you've got to redevelop or reconfigure. You can't put that outlet here. You've got to put it here. You can't put that door here. You've got to put it there. I decided to change the flooring. I decided to change the file, uh, t- f- tiles. All that stuff. It all changes. But God's plan is radically different than yours. And sometimes in the middle of going what it feels like hell, you get to the end of it and say, I know that was God's plan, 
But man, that was good. He was doing something in my life. And so two truths about God that we just talked about. Number one, Jesus is not a monument. Number two, his building plan is different than ours. And so what does that mean about your status? Students, wake up and listen for a second because this is you. And this is every adult and every person in this room who knows Christ. The status of Christ is our status. What is his status? Verse 4, chosen and precious. You see that? So important. You are chosen if you know Christ. You are precious before God. Now, let's flesh that out and see what that means. Okay? For your, if you're a Christian here today, you need to understand that there are some things because of your salvation that's changed everything about how God sees you. And here's the most important part. How you need to see yourself. Because I look at myself and I feel like I flip back and forth all the time. I have great, yesterday was a beautiful day, was it not? I mean, it was great. My wife, Sarah Beth and I, we didn't have kids, so we drove to Athens. And I mean, I am not one of these sentimental, beautiful people, but we'd see daffodils on the side of the road. And I'm just like, it's so beautiful, baby. I wouldn't like that, but maybe. And the thing is, I mean, it's just like, this is a great day, but I know it's going to be raining and dark and cold one day, and I'm going to have a bad day, and it's going to like, life stinks. And my commitment to the Lord is the ebb and flow of my emotional being at that moment. Are y'all like that? And here's what's so beautiful about the gospel. Go to verse 9. Because he lays out all this stuff for us, and this is who you are when you know Christ. Get this. Verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into this wonderful light. We're going to camp out in verse 9 because there's a couple things you want, you want to understand here. First and foremost, if you know Christ, your status is this. You are completely and totally chosen. God looks at you and says, I, look at me students, I choose you. And that means you are totally accepted. Now so many times, even as adults, we deal with this whole concept of rejection. 100% of the people that walked on campus today have dealt with rejection, correct? Divorce, peer groups, you were cut from the team, you have people that kind of edged you away, you've been looked at funny, you've been in a position to where somebody pushed you away. Have y'all dealt with that before? All the time. But here's what the thing, and this is the beauty of the gospel, this is the beauty of Christ. He looks at you, and go back to that first word here. Notice what happens. Verse 9, you are a chosen people. You're his. He looked at you and said, I value you. I pick you for my team. You come to him like Peter and you're like, God, I've got nothing. I can't benefit your kingdom. I'm just this redneck, foot in my mouth, fisherman. God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take you in the confession you just made. I'm going to build the church. That's what the Lord does. And when you don't feel accepted, and all of us feel this way, you understand you have a God that chooses you and says you're totally accepted. You're totally his. Here's the thing. Your value in him is not based upon your choice of him, but his choice of you. Isn't that good? 
Because, like I said before, I flip back and forth. Some days I'm living for the Lord. Some days I'm not. But thankfully, God looks at me and the value that he has in me and the value he has for you is not how you choose, but how he chooses. And he chooses you. Every one of us. Do you recognize that? Do you experience that? All of us deal with rejection. Your status is chosen, but more than that, get, get read what's happening here. You are in the inner circle. You have total access to God. Go back to verse 9. It says this. You are a chosen people in a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, they had Old Testament priests, and their job every day was to go into the temple and make sacrifices to the Lord. And, and, and the closer you got to the inner part of that temple where God's presence resided, the more you got to experience the Lord. But when Christ came and took the punishment that we deserve, we don't need priests anymore to pray on our behalf or make sacrifices on our behalf because Christ did that. And he comes to those who come to know Christ, and he says, you are a royal priesthood. And I love the phraseology there. To be royal means you're brought into the family of, kin, of him, but to be in the priesthood means you have access to him. You're in the inner circle. Isn't that good? You are his. Total accessibility. Totally him. You are chosen and totally accepted, but not only that, you are brought into the inner circle, and you have complete accessibility to the Lord. Now, people call me all the time. And I, I, want, I, want, I want you to remember, you remember about 10 minutes ago I told you about Peter and about the confession he made and about how Jesus renamed him from Simon to Peter. Do you all remember that? And he is now the rock, and he builds his church upon the rock or the confession that Peter made. you all remember all that? Were you with me, church? Now, here's, what I want, here's why I said all that. We get to this point in the scripture, and I want you to understand. As a pastor, I get phone calls all the time for this. Pastor, will you pray for fill in the blank? Now, I want you to know something. I pray for you. Every time you call me, every time you text me and send me a message, when I see it, I usually stop right then and pray for you. Don't stop texting me. But I also want you to know something else. If you are a Christian, your accessibility to God and mine are exactly the same. Exactly the same. I'm not going up to the Lord when you pray. You ask me to pray for you and say, God, there's a person over here in my church. They're really great, okay? And, yeah, if you could just do this for them, that's great. He said he'd do it, you know. <laughs> he said he wouldn't. Uh, you know, <laughs> next, next time one of y'all call me on a prayer request, I'm like, nah, he said no. I mean, I don't know. He's busy right now. I don't know, man. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. God, they're not taking it well. You know, that kind of, you know, all that stuff. Here's the thing. I want you to get this. If you know Jesus, you don't need a pope to give you God's word. You have it in book form. You understand that? Catholicism, they're going to heaven, but listen to me, they're missing the scope of their relationship with the Lord. You don't need a pope. You don't need a priest to go confess to. You don't need that. Christ is your priest. He knows your sin already. And when you know him, he says, I forgive you. You don't need anybody to pray on your behalf. You got it on your own. There's no formula here. You have complete accessibility to the Lord. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. And yes, I'll still pray for you. But understand, you're in the inner circle. I want you to get that. Next thing is this. Not only are you chosen, you're set apart. You're set apart. Now, we don't like that phrase, do we? Notice what happens here. Go back to Scripture. Notice what he says here. Go to verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And he says a holy nation. Do you see that? To be holy means to be set apart. To be nation means you're brought into God's people. 
you are a nation, if you know Jesus, with all of God's kids. It's eccentric, it's diverse, and it's wonderful. And you're set apart. But the idea, y'all with me on this, students, to be set apart is not something that's very intriguing. Because if y'all like me, I'd rather just fit in, right? Just fit in. I don't want to be set apart. That's kind of scary. In adults, that doesn't change when you get older, does it? You have your own little group that you're a part of. You're set apart. Whether you're a Dungeons and Dragons person, we're praying for you. Or whether you're a Facebook fan, praying for you too. You're all together. You're still set apart. But here's the thing. You're not alone. Because there are billions of God's kids who know Jesus throughout the generations of history and even right now. You're not alone. Take advantage of the people of God. Let the people you're with be the people that encourage you the most in your faith. You with me on that? You're set apart, but you're not alone. And finally, I want you to get this. Go back to verse 9. You are His. Completely and radically and totally. Go to verse 9. But you are a chosen priesthood, a royal priesthood. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. Hear me on this, students, and everyone else. From the moment you're born, you've been owned. Either to sin, you are a slave, or to God, you are a son and daughter. And when you come to know Christ, you become his possession, and it's a very special possession. You are his, and that can't be taken away from you. You with me on that? And so when you feel like you're flipping back and forth, in the glow of this weekend kind of wears off. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right, students? You are still his. Adults, you are still his if you know Jesus. That's your status. But for some of us in this room, you're like, Chip, I don't feel that way at all. Are y'all with me on that? You're like, man, I've messed up. I've done this wrong or I'm struggling with this issue. And, man, I don't feel like my status is all those things of being chosen, of being in that inner circle, of being his and, and, and that special possession, I don't feel that way. Y'all with me on that? I, I want you to run back with me to verse 5, because I want you to see something very beautiful here. Verse 5, Peter says this, and he says, you also, meaning you Christians, you're, you're also living stones. You're alive in Christ, okay? And you're being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now, I want you to take your Bible and underline that phrase, being built into. That's got a futuristic tense to it. And what he's saying here is, as you're progressing your spiritual journey, God is working on you. God isn't giving up on you. And as you go through the process of life, he is building into you, and he's building you into a spiritual household. It goes up and down. I understand that. You struggle. I understand that. But understand, those struggles, those problems, those issues, you are being built up to find its completion when you walk into heaven. And so the thing I want you to really gather up in your brain cells and really resonate on this morning is that God's not done with you. God's not done with you. God is going to use those experiences, those issues, even the lies you bought into, and he's going to turn them into good. He can use that because he's powerful enough to do it. But the question is, do we believe that? So I want to give you some next steps. I want to give you some homework. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a couple thoughts, finish with a story, and then students, you can go home and take a nap. Are y'all with me on that? You're like, God, hurry up. Here's the thing. 
First thing is this. This is your joy, and that's to live life as worship. This is where you're going to extract the most joy in your life, is when you recognize life as worship. Go to verse 5 again. It says this, You also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That means doing the right thing. When you're doing the right thing, you're happier. Would you all agree on that? Would everybody agree on this? When you're doing the right thing, you're happier. The greatest, the greatest act of worship is not how loud you sing, but it's how well you live. That honors God. Those are those spiritual sacrifices. And what he's saying here is that you and I, if you want to know joy, you got to live your life as worship. And to worship means to do right. You with me on that? Second thing is this. This is your mission. Let your lips produce praise. Let your lips produce praise. Let's go to verse 9 again. Notice what happens here. He lists out all the thoughts of what it means to be a Christian and the status that you have. And then he goes on to say, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. God does something beautiful there. He transitions you spiritually from darkness to light so that you proclaim his praises. But what does that mean? That's your mission. Our life is to be evident, if you're a Christian, through your speech and through your action, that we are his kids. Live for him. I've got a story to tell and, and just got permission to share it, so I'm going to share it anyway. We have many people in the medical profession here in our church, and um, when you're in the medical profession, you're kind of told, don't let your faith interfere with you being a doctor or a nurse or a PA or whatever you do. One of the folks in our church who works in the medical profession was treating a patient who uh, basically is about to die. That person was able to share the gospel with them, and they came to know Jesus. Let me tell you something. God is bigger than your job. God is bigger than your social status, your culture, and your school. You understand that? And the mission of every believer is let your lips perpetuate and proclaim that Jesus is alive. Let your attitude and actions do that in your parenting, in your marriage, in your social structure, everything. Y'all with me on that? Then the next thing is this. Not only is that your mission, this is your status. Let yourself be accepted. Let yourself be accepted. This may be the most important thing I tell you this morning. Because for many of us in this room, not only do we not feel accepted by others, we can't even accept ourselves. Has any of y'all ever struggled with that? Any of y'all ever struggled with that? You look in the mirror, you know, you don't even like you. But here's what I want you to get here. Let's go back to verse 9. When you know Christ, let this preach to you this morning. Let this speak to you. Students, understand this. I don't care what you look like or who you've been around or what social group. It doesn't matter. Don't say, this is what God says to you. You are chosen. You're in my inner circle. You have total accessibility and total and radical acceptance. And I have brought you into my, my nation. I have brought you into my fold. I have brought you into my family. I've set you apart. I'm protecting you, and you are mine. You are mine. You are mine. Do you get that? That's who you are. But it's your job to accept that status. You hear me on that? That's your job. 
So will you accept it or not? Your mission, your status, and not only that, your joy. Will you do it? This past week, um, I heard a story, and I think you guys heard about it, about a guy out in out west, and he was on a, on a long run. And he turned around and saw a mountain lion bearing down on him and jumped him. Did y'all hear about this guy? Wow. I mean, he's my new hero. I don't know if you heard the story. Did you hear about it? The mountain lion attacked him, jumped on the guy. He covered his face, wrestled the mountain lion to the ground, and choked it out. Awesome! Are y'all with me? Is that awesome back there? That is awesome. The girlfriend was interviewed, and she goes, yeah, my, my friends at work said, you better, you, better, you better get a ring on that, you know, because that, that man's awesome. He choked out a mountain lion, okay? He choked out. He won. He got attacked by a mountain lion and won. Y'all remember watching that movie Legends of the Fall and the guy's fighting at the, at the bear at the end? I'm like, that's how I want to go. This guy said, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to beat the mountain lion. He won. I mean, he, the mountain lion's attacked him. He chokes him out. He wins. And then he gets up and jogs three miles out of the wilderness to say, I need stitches. <laughs> Boom! I mean, Wow, wow. Why do we share this story at the end? Here's why. For your joy, for your status, and for your mission, you've got to fight. You hear me? You've got to fight like your life depended on it. You've got to cast off restraint. You've got to take difficult steps. You've got to get uncomfortable spiritually. You've got to dive in the deep end. You've got to deal with some hard things. You've got to understand repentance. You've got to get Christ inside of you. You've got to understand that you are chosen. You are royal priesthood. You are set apart. You are a holy nation. And you are this. You've got to fight that. And every day as the enemy sneaks into your brain, and he says, you are done. You are worthless. You are not worth it. You are unacceptable. No one loves you. No one likes you. No one cares. Listen to me. You look at him and you say, I am chosen. I am a royal priest. I am accepted by God. I am brought into his fold. And no one can tell me different. Why? Because Jesus took care of business. Verse 10. Notice what it says. I love this. Once you were not a people. Yeah, that used to be you. That was your status. That was your status. But now, you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now mercy has come to you. Do you know Christ? Have you asked Jesus to come into your life? Have you taken that step of faith and said, I need him? And so if you're here this morning and you've never known Christ, or you've never asked Christ to come into your life, or maybe in your spiritual development, it's just been a patty cake faith. Listen to me. Let's take that step this morning. And on the connect card you were given inside your worship folder is a box to check. You can check that box that says, hey, I need Jesus. Maybe you need to make your faith public. You need to check off the box that says, I need to be baptized. And maybe you're here today and you just need to take some next steps. Get in a life group, start to serve, get a phone call for the pastor, counseling, repentance, whatever it may be. But hear me, until you know Jesus, you'll never know yourself. Until you accept Jesus, you'll never be able to accept yourself. Accept who you are, a chosen and royal priesthood, set apart as a holy nation and under his possession. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and ask God that this morning that you would do a mighty work in the lives of these adults and students, that you would radically overwhelm us and change us.
Fill us with your spirit. Over, give us the strength to live for you. And I ask God that in these moments that you would work, that you would bless, and that you would overwhelm us, and that you would show up in a profound way. And I pray, God, that you give us the strength to live for you. For these students, I pray, God, that you would be with them and strengthen them. And they look in the mirror tonight, they would see you, see themselves and see you. They're chosen. They're yours. God, nothing can separate you. So this morning, as, as we are reminded that we are a chosen royal priesthood, set apart, a holy nation, let us worship you. Let us acknowledge who you are. Let us be filled with your presence. Jesus, do it. In Christ's name we pray.